Welcome back to another episode of the Shifting Podcast. I'm Ed Rudisell, and still back in the States here, um, but um, continuing on with our theme of Bay Area, apparently. We just had uh, Martin Kate on recently, and now have Camper English visiting Indianapolis and uh, talking about some dangerous cocktails and things like that. But welcome back to the city, Camper. Glad to be back <laughs> for all of 24 hours. Yeah, you you definitely have a quick trip into the city. Uh, it's funny, I, was, I had to go back and look um, through... The archives, because I knew it had been a while since you've been on the show, but you were actually the 15th episode uh, of Shift Drink, and two of those were like uh, what well, uh, were like multiple part episodes. So you were like the 14th guest, I believe. And what are you up to now? Uh, gosh, in the 80s, something like that now, because you know we're every two weeks. So yeah, in the 80s, it's been a lot. It's been a lot of people. So at the time, you had just uh, dropped the uh, gin and tonic book. Yep. So what have you been up to since then? Well, I've been up to a lot since then. Yeah, you have. Uh, but I've had one large project in particular, which I assume we weren't going to talk about today, uh, which is about cocktail safety. No, we're not going to talk about that. Um, so tell me about this Google thing. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, that's it's real cool because we talked about it probably back then as just a an overview. And you said, you know, it seems like that, that gin and tonic book turned into multiple projects for you. It did. It's funny how things end up becoming connected uh, when we were at the time talking about making homemade tonic and how that can lead to cinchonism and overdose of cinchona tree bark uh, but now there's a whole project about all of the other ingredients that bartenders are ten, uh, tending to use uh, in making homemade versions of things behind the bar that can be potentially dangerous either to the customers or to the the bartenders themselves that they're developing recipes. Yeah, so, I mean, just kind of rewinding a little bit or, like, through the whole kind of cocktail renaissance that we're going through here, just for listeners, that if you haven't listened to episode 15, uh, go back and check that out. But, I mean, this is a really rapidly changing industry. And like you just said, you know, people are doing things at home now that weren't happening before. Uh, additionally, I mean, so you operate Alchemics, which is a, a cocktail blog, which... You know, in the early days of the cocktail renaissance, in which it was operating, you know, very early on, you were one of the very few resources to be able to like go out and grab info. Yeah, in the when when cocktail bloggers were relevant um, <laughs> <laughs> ten plus years ago, um, before really food publications and magazines and all of that got really interested in cocktails. But think all about that, 10 years, right? Like th yeah. all that has happened in 10 years. That's crazy. Yeah. And we became irrelevant in that time because all the information was coming from the bloggers who were just driven and interested and uh, the sort of the New York editors didn't really believe in it yet. And now the coverage is locked in on all of the the big publications and then bloggers had really nothing to do and no one was fighting for ad dollars and there also weren't that many mysteries to solve anymore. Right. What turns out there always are more mysteries to solve. Yeah, obviously. And so going back into those early days uh, of the blog, I mean, there was a lot of information that was gleaned out of that, but you uh, are always one of those guys that likes to go deep down the rabbit holes. And so you went down the, um, the, went down the, the ice hole. directional, <laughs> you, went to, you went down the <laughs> ice hole. I wish I had the sound effects here. Um, so yeah, you got that accomplished, but then you kind of went down the, the track or the track of, uh, of you know the gin and tonic. But like you said, the, the homemade cocktails and, and homemade tinctures and all that. And it, we did talk about it last time uh, because you and I both have a shared um, disdain for activated charcoal in cocktails, uh, particularly uh, you know when it's not mentioned as a dangerous ingredient on, on a cocktail menu. And that that's turned into a whole project for you now. Like it's it sure funded, has. it's a website, it's a thing. You do lectures, you do you tour around. You're in town, like you were paid to fly from San Francisco to Indianapolis to teach a, a one hour or I'm sorry, a three hour course, and then flying back home. You're insane. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a whole thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so what the manifestation of this for those listeners at home is a, a separate website called cocktailsafe.org, and uh, in. The past several years, topics have been coming up a lot uh, relating to safety as far as tobacco bitters yeah. uh, that, that people still tend to use sometimes. Really? Uh, Are you still seeing that out there? Yeah. The smaller the city, the larger the sales of tobacco really? and cocktails. Really? Because people got the, the cool memo of tobacco, but they didn't get the safety memo that followed that up. Mm -hmm. And uh, we found 
a lot of the reason that Cocktail Safe was born is because the dangerous information was traveling much faster than the, oh, hey, we, we, we thought that. Let's not do that. Sure. <laughs> bad, bad on us. So what happened was uh, there were a lot of conversations having online about tobacco and bitters, um, cinchona bark for homemade tonic water, and then as activated charcoal came onto the scene, uh, it was like, okay, like we can't, this information about the safety of cocktails or the danger of cocktails should probably be all in one place. Uh, there was a lot happening online on a Facebook group, but it was a private group because uh, it was fun to rant uh, in sure. that private group yeah. about safety. And um, I took a lot of the information that was being sort of discovered and exposed in that group and uh, was able to get a grant from the Tales of the Cocktail Foundation. Under okay, that's what I thought. I thought that you got a grant to do that. Yeah, under the new ownership, they uh, the first year of it, this is the third year is about to start, open up for grant applications, but they, uh, I believe, funded about, it's either fifty dollars or $100,000 worth of projects um, for meant to be for the greater good of the cocktail community. So it was great timing and that I, I really believed that this website needed to exist and uh, Tales of the Cocktail Foundation was founding uh, good projects. So I uh, was successful in uh, getting a grant and that allowed me to build a website with it's probably close to 100 pages now of information on different ingredients. And it's several hundred ingredients because, like, the, the page just on, like, dangerous sure. flowers extends pretty long because every Instagrammer in L.A. is just grabbing something off a bush and throwing it in a drink. And it's, well, that's uh, a good point, yeah, especially when it comes to tiki. We see a lot of that. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I see a lot of... Um, like you said, uh, cocktail bloggers, but I guess we don't call them bloggers anymore. Or don't, don't call you, now it's like influencers, right? You see a lot of the cocktail uh, accounts on Instagram, and, you know, it's the information is not being relayed that, like, they perhaps aren't consuming that drink. It was made to look beautiful for a photograph, but, you know, that what uh, is in the photograph may not actually be fit for human consumption. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing with Instagram is that it's a better picture than it is information sure. about right. what is in the picture um, and so that's always valued more than right. actually making the drink or cooking the meal or you know the fashion behind it or etc so yeah it seems to be the exact same two cocktail photos um, being recycled over and over and over again in some way shape or form on Instagram and this is no like you know intentional diss to anybody out there that, that does this but I, I see uh, you either have to have butter pea flour, <laughs> yeah. you know, or uh, or orchids and or some sort of floral nature, you know. And again, you know, I realize that the irony of me saying that having a tiki bar and all that, but you know, um, but just, you know, you're talking about the flowers. So let's let's pause there for a second because that's one of the issues that we have, right? I mean, edible flowers, right? And we get asked constantly, "Are these edible?" And like these are edible. Uh, we have tried very hard um, to work with local growers. Um, to get flowers in here that you know um, that we were able to source from someone that we know or whatever, and it's so difficult, man. It's so difficult to find somebody that's not using pesticides or some sort of fertilizer that you don't want to have in your mouth. And I mean, it was really, really difficult, which was why you kind of see the ubiquitous like pink and white orchid and every drink, you know. Yeah, there's this thing, this selection that has grown for for this purpose. And one thing that comes up when we talk about cocktail safe topics is, and this is a, the further extension of that, uh, a lot of people, I think, assume that because it's organic, because they found it in a forest, therefore it's edible. Organic it does not mean edible. Organic does not mean safe. Poison ivy is organic. <laughs> right. Nobody's growing that and putting pesticides <laughs> on it. You can go out. There's a lot of things that we think of as uh, safe because they're organic, and that's just that's just not true. So you have to be aware, um, not just that the flower wasn't didn't come from a flower shop that sells things to put in a vase rather than in your mouth. But furthermore, uh, you can't just grab anything off any tree. And this is coming up in another interesting situation as we're looking for at sustainability behind the bar and using every part, sort of the nose to tail right, of plants. Yeah. Well, you can't do nose to tail of a of cherries, for mm -hmm. example, because your cherry pit or jot is going to have cyanide in it. Right. So that's an interesting one because I've... 
that's something that it's easily forgotten, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of uh, uh, stone fruit is in that in that same boat. Like you should not make amaretto is actually on your uh, list on your uh, on cocktailsafe.org. Uh, explain why that is a, is a danger. I mean, this is you literally make you know. It's dangerous cyanide. So in film noir movies, often the detective is like, oh, we could smell uh, almonds on the dead bodies, so he must have been killed with cyanide. Uh, so amaretto uh, literally comes from bitter almonds, or at least originally comes from bitter almonds. And uh, the, the kernels of bitter almonds, as well as stone fruit, apricots, peaches, uh, cherries, were, and which is how um, amaretto is made today. It's not mm -hmm. usually made from bitter almonds. Those all contain the same... Um, it's a cyanide precursor that always converts to cyanide when you eat it. So when producing commercial amaretto and the water distillation process to get the almond oil out, the cyanide is left behind and, and those products are safe. But if you're just infusing those into a jar of alcohol, for example, or making a syrup out of them, all of that, all of the cyanide precursor is still going to be in there. So we might think that it's like, hey, we have a great second use for these kernels of fruits behind the bar, but just because one part of the plant is safe doesn't mean all parts of the plant. And are I think safe. that part's important. You know, there's certain um, ingredients that, like you said, I mean, it's still trickling down. But you know, I think people are aware, or at least becoming more aware that you know things like activated charcoal or tobacco are dangerous. Like you said, the smaller the town, the bigger the risk. But uh, I'm seeing, you know, things like you're talking about, especially with like stone fruit pits, things like that, still used, like in a lot of places that where they definitely should not be, where they're because it's this constant. I think it's the rat race, right? Like you, you're, everyone's chasing the the new old thing. How can we yep. like remake this thing that is historical? But you know, I mean, you know, the uh, average life expectancy a year or a hundred years ago is quite different than it is today. <laughs> you know, maybe we shouldn't be chasing down the how do they make this uh, this particular product 130 years ago. Yeah. Uh, if we look in, for example, the back of Jerry Thomas' uh, Bartender's Guide, uh, the real first book dedicated to bartending recipes and techniques, the back half of it was a section on, uh, like, handbook to make cordials, liqueurs, etc. Um, by, by another author, author, but it was packaged together. Well, in that part of the books, so we think of these old books are sacred. Everything in them is good and correct. Right, That's yeah. where we get our classic cocktails. Uh-uh. You have, like, fake gin with turpentine. Uh, you have ammonia added to products to make them taste more boozy. You have... Um, Calmness, which oh, that'll get you. <laughs> yeah. Wow, this is really boozy and very ammonia-like. Isn't that real Jamaican funk? No, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's uh, for your car. Um, and <laughs> there are things like Calamus, which has since been uh, banned in the U.S. and limited in other countries. And um, like Sassafras, mm -hmm. which uh, was used to make tea for many years, but we don't use it anymore. In the U.S., you can't use it at all. So those things, uh, if we're looking at the old books, you can't just take it just because it old was old means it was correct. Right. And go, I mean, even going back to the glassware, I mean, we, I think everybody knows that, you know, you can't just go like to, you know, vintage shopping and find some really cool like crystal glassware. I mean, it's lead crystal, you know, you shouldn't lead be serving crystal. in that. And yep. especially when you're like you said, you're putting alcohol into it, you know, that can leach out quite easily. And so that was, I, I guess that, that is that race to like, reinvent something old you know hey we're doing this the old way like in back in the 1840s yep. this is how this was made this is a pre-prohibition bar well that's good in some <laughs> circumstances but we also have improved on our safety and our technology and our ability to find exactly what within an ingredient could have been the problematic uh chemical compound and what to do to keep it out of there or just to limit it in the law, which is the problem that a lot of bartenders take issue with is, okay, like I know I can put some wormwood right. in a drink. If this was a product, I could have some wormwood in it, but you're telling me uh, like I had to have to measure that? I'm like, yeah, I kind of am <laughs> because we, uh, we have to be careful of the, the limits of some ingredients and right so the, the, even these dangerous ingredients there are some safe levels for su stuff that you have on there like so we, you're obviously not telling anybody don't use an edible flower you know in your drink but uh, you know perhaps not the ones with pesticide but you know there are no safe levels of certain things but you, you know right. you were talking about um just the the amount of consumption on some i, I heard you do a 
an interview recently with uh, Eric Castro, bartender at large, and you talked about, and this was interesting for me because I, I, I would never serve a tobacco tincture regardless because, um, and we might have talked about this before. I'm sure that you guys have. I just don't know if a microphone was on when we did. So I remember as a little kid, do you remember the Anarchist Cookbook? Right. Like it was like one of the banned books, right? You couldn't get it because it was like effectively taught you how to be a little terrorist. Um, and like, of course, everybody wanted it because it was banned. But I do. The only thing that really stands out to me is I remember that there was a uh, there was instructions on how to you know make this lethal concoction that was effectively just ultra ultra concentrated um, cigarette water. You yeah. know, yeah. So it was just like cigarettes that had been filtered through, you know. A hundred times through a coffee filter, yeah, or something you don't like that. Need that much, and so right, you know, and, and that could put you into cardiac arrest. And like this was like, you know, that was designed whether for entertainment or whatever the hell reason that, that book was written. But now we're calling that a tincture, and we're putting that in a cocktail. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it's the same fucking thing, right? It sure is. Yeah, and the amounts—that's the one thing that I think if we look at dangers within the cocktail industry, there's that's the one thing that's we have to be the most wary of and help inform other people if we see it. I don't I don't love the process of being right. like, hey, stop right. doing this. And no one loves to be told they're like, wrong. Yeah, oh, campers here. Kind of, kind of, yeah, here I am to bring But no, what was interesting down. was the extraction, right? So you, I think during that interview with uh, uh, with Eric Castro, you had said that, you know, when you, you may be in your bitters bottle, you've only infused one cigarette into that, but the, because of the greater extraction rate while you're using that in alcohol, when you're smoking a cigarette, you're just getting a touch of the, the nicotine as you're inhaling and then exhaling. So during inhalation, you're not getting the whole thing, which I think, you know, for a lot of our um, listeners out there, <laughs> probably, um, we could make the, the draw the parallel with, with uh, cannabis edibles, right? Like when you eat edibles, you get fucked up a lot easier than smoking a joint and because you're like it's going through your liver and you're getting a lot more of it going through your body and so you had I think said that you know perhaps that one cigarette that's been infused into your bitters bottle could actually be like a whole pack of cigarettes exactly. because of the, the greater extraction yeah, you're getting you're getting 100% of it when you put it in alcohol, and I, I think it's a great way to think about it. Like, oh, there's only a pinch of tobacco, and you're only using a couple drops. Well, like that one cigarette's worth of tobacco is a whole pack of cigarettes worth of nicotine, and it doesn't matter now if you're only using a couple drops. And, you know, I know people who are impacted by the amount of tobacco using tobacco bitters in drinks. Oh, for sure, man. I have, I have people who are like, oh, gosh, I don't know what's wrong with me. Every time I have this tobacco old-fashioned, I get sick. <laughs> I'm like, what's wrong with you is you know you're being poisoned and I keep drinking it. <laughs> but it's uh, this is also the opportunity where should something go awry, you know, a cap is loose and more goes in the drink or something. Right, yeah. We, it, it, th there is a, a more real potential to really hurt somebody uh, with tobacco than most of the other ingredients we're talking about. And what happens if that happens, you know, it, it, it would be worthy of a big uh, news story in the media, like, you know, bartender kills somebody with so many ingredients, then what happens? Health inspectors come for us sure. all. Well, that's interesting. There's, there's so you no said, more homemade bitters. You said health inspector, but I'm thinking more of, of like, I mean, I don't know, TTB, because where is the regulation on that? Is there regulation? Are there legal... Um, repercussions on using a a controlled you know uh, yeah. drug like like tobacco or you know obviously we're serving alcohol we have a license to do that but i'm going to venture to guess that you know the people that are making tobacco tinctures don't have a license to sell tobacco correct uh well tobacco in particular because of the way it's uh structured in the u.s and most countries uh it always needs to be sold with that warning label on it. Mm -hmm. And you can't just give someone a cigarette. You can't sell a Lucy sure. um, uh, legally because the, the government wants to have that label. So when I looked into the, the legality That's of funny. It, I, I, I'm fucking 43 years old, and I never realized why Lucy's were, were illegal. Now I'm just like, oh, wow, I'm stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So unless they come with a full warning right. label around one cigarette, it's not going to happen uh, <laughs> legally. And so that's, uh, I tried to find any way that it could possibly be legal to give somebody tobacco and food and beverage and I think that there is not um, for mm -hmm. just that reason alone um, I mean the better reason is that it's poisonous to, to, <laughs> yeah. to not give them that um, and as far as let's say other ingredients if you put too much you had too much thujone in your wormwood tincture that you that you serve to a customer where does that lie in the law and it's really kind of complicated and uh, uh, hard to explain in that 
if, if you were to put that in a product and try to sell it over state lines, okay, now we're talking federal guidelines for, for food right. and that goes by the law. But if you're making that at the bar, okay, now really it's, it, it, you're not playing within the guidelines, but the guidelines are not enforced at that federal label. They're enforced by your local sort of food right. okay. uh, or safety inspector who, Interesting. in theory, could walk into the bar and be like, show me all your ingredients in, that, in those bitters, and that's not right. okay. More likely, though, uh, that's not going to happen. Right, exactly. I mean, what's the chances of someone coming in and be like, well, what, what's in this bitters bottle? You know, we're going to test it for, you know, nicotine levels or we're going to, you know, cyanide levels in your, uh, your almond bitters. Um, yeah. So what I, uh, what I, how I've decided to think about that is, uh, you know, as people in the bartending community, you know, since rock star tattoos like to (laughs) jaywalk and and get into trouble. Living Um, on the edge. Yeah. Living on the edge kind of people. (laughs) But I think that, uh, a better way to jaywalk, (laughs) (laughs) uh, we can think about it as like, Oh, it's probably not harming anybody, but but what I like to think about for cocktail safe purposes is uh, I think our goal can always be to make things safer to a right. safe level. And we don't have to uh, get, you know, just use lime juice and sugar and everything. But we can, if we know something is questionable, we can sort of move up the safety scale to somewhere yeah. that we know is safer. Or how about if you're a mixologist, you find something else that maybe tastes similar or tastes how you want it to be that is safe. Right, and so I, that's what I really do like about um, Cocktail Safe, is that you not only um, talk about you know all these products, and we I know we've concentrated heavily on tobacco. It's just, again, you and I have talked about this repeatedly over the years before the website existed, about my pet peeve of the, uh, the charcoal and the tobacco. But um, you do provide alternative like yeah. suggestions as well, and on academics as well. So yeah, and that's sort of the fun part, I think, um, to uh, to find. Well, what else could we do for activated charcoal? Although, okay, there's a bunch of other things that can turn cocktails black, and depending on which country you're in, they may be legal or illegal. And the other ones, we can't use carbon black or vegetable carbon, which is basically burnt burnt plants um, mm-hmm. to, to dye uh, foods if you're going to sell that again in a product. However, um, you can in Europe. You can just add that. But it's basically a natural food coloring. Right. And uh, in the U.S., um, we don't have a I don't believe there's a non-synthetic sort of black food coloring, but I'm saying if you're... You just put them all in. <laughs> yeah, go for it. You know, like, we think uh, some bars think that you know we're not using artificial coloring in the drinks, but like if you're serving a certain spritz or yeah, yeah I know I was that's what I was getting ready to say right. Um, so there. Th- that's interesting because the, there's these certain issues I these battles I choose that I don't know why and mm-hmm. and food coloring I, I'd say the two big ones and I don't it's not like we even use a ton of food coloring but yes we use products like you said um, that maybe make them drink red and beautiful. Um, Food coloring gets a bad rap, you know? It's used, I mean, in everything we have. You turn over the label, and it's like, you know, whatever, red number six or or whatnot. Um, the, the other one's MSG, but don't get me started on that. Um, <laughs> again, that's another example of, right, like, the, the one story comes out, but then you don't get that second wave of the information later, you know? Like, so, like, hey, here's a cool thing. In that case, it was like, here's a bad thing, but, like, immediately disproven, but... Again, nobody was listening at that point, and so, but yeah, food coloring gets a really bad rap. But even though it's in everything, and no, but if you've seen dropping a few drops into a cocktail, it just kind of has that perception of like, ooh, they're just coloring it, whatever, purple or or whatever. Yeah, but it's every. Pretty much every spirit product on the shelf has had its color manipulated in one way or another, whether that's to filter it to clarity, mm-hmm. to add caramel to for consistency, or right. to uh, give the impression of age, or just to give it a uh, dark, to hide the gross color of a lot of herbal <laughs> yeah, right. with with just by making it darker with, with caramel, or to add artificial color to it. So almost 100% of mm-hmm. everything on the shelf is that the color manipulated. Now, when we're adding stuff to it, we tend to have a prejudice against that. Right. But. Yeah, and it's very strange when you see someone... I mean, you know, we I used to work at a sports bar in my 20s, and, you know, for St. Patrick's Day, we had to put the, the green food coloring in. It was either that or we bought, you know, whatever, more Miller Lite that already was colored green. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I learned very uh, young, or not very young, but um, I think my very first trip to Italy... Um, you know how to immediately spot bullshit um, gelato that like because I love um, 
banana, uh, gelato, and I and also um, pistachio, right? Which is usually green or yellow, um, as uh, uh, as most everybody knows out there. But when's the last time you saw a banana that was actually bright yellow, right? I mean, the outside is, but the inside it oxidizes so quick it actually turns gray. So when you see like that grayish tinted like banana gelato you're like oh well that's the legit one yeah. uh, you know and then same with pistachio it doesn't turn bright green so um, that was like an easy way to tell those things and again you have to adjust those things I guess if you want it in the cocktails or you want the pretty version of that um, so uh, uh, that's one alternative you know but when you're talking about flavor that's a whole different thing you know yeah. we're talking about you know substitutions uh, of food coloring or whatever you know like you said a natural colorants like beets or something for that, but you know, flavors are a little bit of a different story. They are, but we can also find a lot of a lot of the the dangerous ingredients or limited ingredients we find as ingredients in bitters and um, amari and vermouths. Um, and that's everything from wormwood to calamus to the quinine, which we think of as in tonic water, but quinine or slash cinchona bark is almost in every single amari if it dates back to uh, mid-1800s Italy because they had a kind of a big malaria problem. Right. And, uh, and so... See episode 15. <laughs> <laughs> So there are a lot of these uh, either uh, bitter bitter herbs or bitter barks that are limited, but there are a lot more of those herbs and barks in the world than just the ones in our drink. So uh, your your bitter thujone and your wormwood, like why not hops? Um, yeah, uh, right. Or, or, or something else in that sort of green or dried herb category for your barks rather than cinchona bark. Let's look into cherry bark, which is used in a lot of uh, bitters recipes and doesn't have the associated heart potential problems uh, with it. <laughs> oh, just that little thing, like that a heart attack, cardiac arrest. Where it can kill you. So yeah. as you've been doing this, so you're constantly updating the website. Yeah. Um, I, 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 but my list of to-dos is very, very long. And every time I, every single time I give a talk, I get so many great questions that I'm like, going to have to look that up. Right. That was my question. List. So how, <laughs> what leads you down to, to discover new ingredients? Because it's easy to say, oh, well, tobacco is, you know, you shouldn't be drinking tobacco. You shouldn't <laughs> be drinking charcoal. Like those are easy ones. But, you know, when it comes to like some of these things it, it, you have to think about like, oh, shit. Yeah, right. Well, like, like I never thought of that or actually exactly. I never looked into that. And so that's it. So it's a lot of, through questions, you know. Yeah. Uh, things that people like. So I had a drink with catnip in it someone says and I was like that no you did not and then no it turns out yes absolutely really it's big in Pittsburgh I believe or maybe Philly one of those it's uh, big in Pittsburgh I mean, what are we defining big as like there's two <laughs> cocktail bars probably I guess that is big I mean that's that's big catnip if there's two bars serving it it's a thing yeah so that's I'm, so that's on my list I have not looked oh, you know, we don't have an answer for that I don't I don't all know. right I don't know everyone email camper all your details about this there might be a safe consumption level of catnip that we don't know about could be. Maybe it's only gets your cat high and it's great for you. I, I <laughs> right. do not know. Well, that's funny you mentioned that because I know it's been asked a couple of times in different interviews you've done. But, I mean, we are seeing CBD and, and fusions and added into cocktails now. And, obviously, I'm a, I've been a vocal supporter of legalization. You know, we're in a state where it's not legal. Um, and, you know, we talked about that greater extraction rate as well, right? And so you're adding CBD. And, uh, I mean, how, what are your feelings on that at this point? So uh, my feelings are, I, I guess, let's call them nuanced. Um, in that, right? Yeah. One, I mean, you're in the Bay Area, right? So I mean, this has got to be something that's talked about. It is, and so we do have a, a very. Well, I support how the law is written for California right now, which is, uh, you can't have sell or allow to be consumed in the same venue cannabis products and alcohol. So it's one or the other. I think that's a good move. And um, and a lot of people. So if we're talking about recreational, uh, getting getting high, getting drunk at the same time, that's what we have to worry about. There is the additive effect, um, right. adding one on top of the other. Like I know how that impacts me. It's not one plus one equals two. It's one plus one equals me throwing up in a corner. And, um, <laughs> uh, sometimes and uh, well, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, so I kind as of a bar owner. That's like uh, could be problematic there. And right. The science I. Maybe it's out there. I don't think it's fully out there where we fully understand the additive effect of particularly alcohol and uh, cannabis meant of the type meant to right. get you high. Now, uh, there's the other issue of a lot of people ask, well, what about cannabidiol? What right. about medical marijuana? And for that, I, for me, the answer is super clear in that like, 
we don't put Tylenol in anybody's drink. Like, maybe that's it's not the bar. If you're taking uh, stuff for medicine, then that's not that's on your own time. Right, yeah, that's that not our job to bar. give someone their medication. And, I mean, I will always kind of think about it in the way that, like, you know, you're at a bar. Um, you're probably not here for medication, at least not... You know, I mean, you, you might be here for self-medication, but <laughs> right. certainly not for some sort of uh, controlled medication or, or, you know, any other um, drug, you know, whether it be tobacco or, or cannabis, you're here to have a drink, you're here to have a cocktail. And, yeah, I, I'm not sure the science is really there yet. I mean, right, I mean, with the Farm Bill opening up CBD to everybody in the United States... Um, I mean, they're just popping up faster than vape stores, and uh, yeah. you know, it's, we're in a really interesting time uh, with it, and and we'll see. I'm I'm not locked into my right. current thinking on well, even on that end, there's no real lab testing, right? I mean, you might you, this might be your next book, right? It could be like dangerous CBD, um, <laughs> and you know, because there isn't any industry standard or of, of lab testing for that, you know, you just kind of have to buy from a. Uh, you're you're lucky you live in an area where you know yeah. people are <laughs> you can just you know, yell out on the street does anybody have a you right know, but you can choose two ratio of right i mean like you go there are reputable like sellers in the bay that like you can trust and that they are actually paying the extra money to have the lab test done and you can you know what you're getting whereas when you live in a state like here where it's completely illegal you don't ever know what you're getting you know i mean somebody could be like ah this is you know this is crazy purple camper English Kush. Right. <laughs> and so like, here, try my moonshine. Right. Like, Thanks. Exactly. But no. No. You know what? So uh, <laughs> I don't know if I think I might have mentioned this on my Asia recap, but um, in Hanoi, um, I had a a pause uh, of a moment. <laughs> so we were uh, it was the last day. And we we're sitting having a, a a snack on the street. And uh, sitting on those little squat stools that you're like, why do these even exist? Because I'm only six inches up. I could have just sat on the sidewalk. Um, and as I'm sitting there, a guy, like, hands me a bottle of water. You know, he's eating as well. I'm like, no, 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 man, it's cool. And he said something in Vietnamese and hands me the bottle again. I'm like, no, 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 I got my own water, dude. And thank you. And he kept handing it to me. And he finally takes the cap off and, like, puts it to my nose. And I was like, ah, this is moonshine. And then I was like, yeah, I drank it. <laughs> but I mean, I did. I paused because I'm like, your vision you know, then. well, that was it, right? Like, because I mean, the, the the science geek in me is like, uh, there's heads and tails and everything else. And that's just if it was even done in the right way in the first place. Um, I didn't. Yeah, I can still see. I didn't die. It did taste pretty, pretty low proof. So it was either watered down heavily, or perhaps it was even just some sort of fortified rice liquor. I don't know what it was, yes, but you lived. You lived <laughs> another day. Yeah, it was. I, I knew the risk going into it, but then again, you know, eating fresh fruit in some of the cities I ate or towns I ate in was probably equally as dangerous. Well, you talked about the organic things, so that's something that you know that I think about. A lot with fresh uh, vegetables and stuff, because when you travel through um, certain countries, you know, with our organic standard versus theirs, and like, you know, organic farming also involves shit. You know, there's manure, <laughs> and so that's not necessarily something you want on your fruit um, right. before you just pop a, a strawberry in your mouth or something like that. And and so, um, for a long time, I refused um, fresh produce and fresh uh, fruit in in Southeast Asia because I couldn't see how it was being washed or cleaned, and so. I didn't know what their farming practices were. Yeah, and on Cocktail Safe, there are uh, mostly it's about ingredients of danger, but there are there's is some information about uh, techniques which we should be watching out for. So like similar to, well, foraging would be the direct connection here to mm. what we're just talking about. You know, you can't just go into the forest and pick any mushroom and eat it. And now we're saying, of course, you can't pick any flour and put it in your drink, but. Um, other sort of techniques like uh, food safe containers you can batch in the Home Depot orange bucket or you can choose to batch in the uh, Home Depot white bucket with the food safe right. symbol on it and that's just a move in the right direction maybe maybe like if you wash that bucket out first your orange bucket is not actually going to poison you but like wouldn't a smarter and better decision just be to spend the extra one dollar on the food safety approved bucket you know you're right though because that's a new thing because that didn't use to use to not even be able to buy that when you would go to like the home depot or whatnot if you bought the five gallon bucket there was one option right and you're right there is a there's a food safe option now that you can purchase nearly anywhere 
perhaps you're winning, sir. <laughs> yep, it's just a little, just moving up the safety scale. And then there are some other uh, tips on there about, uh, say, fat washing, uh, which people use to put meat flavors into alcohol, but then sort of assume that they're shelf-stable, which may not be the case, similar to how... Um, how every couple of years someone uh, dies of botulism from uh, infused olive oil. Mm. Um, I think we need to look at fat washing with a similar eye about worry of uh, bacterial infection. Of, of It's usually the oil that's floating on top of that. Yeah, right. Not putting it in our keg lines that might sit uh, with air overnight. To your or, knowledge, do you know if there's been anybody that has gotten sick from fat-washed booze? I mean, I just, I'm, I'm thinking back. I'm, yeah, okay, you're nodding, okay. No, I don't I don't <laughs> actually know. Uh, I, I know people who have uh, left something out and then, yeah. and then been like, oh my gosh, no, um, and thrown it out before it, it ended up being served. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I, no, that's, I mean, it's for sure dangerous. I just didn't know because, again, I don't. You don't always hear about it, right? I mean, these are things that, in, and oftentimes, they get attributed to something else, right? Like, so they had dinner, they had a fat wash drink, you know, they got sick and the, the food's blamed, or maybe their food preparation at home, which my health department inspector always says that, you know, because, I mean, we have obviously so many rules and regulations in restaurants that we follow, you know, everything's sanitized multiple times a day, our hands are washed a thousand times a day, and like at home, how many times do people really wash their hands at home? Not asking you, like <laughs> I, I know you do. Constantly. Right, but I mean like most people don't wash their hands every three minutes like we do in the restaurants, and they don't have a soap and sanitizer bucket, unless you live in my house, which we have two, and um, <laughs> one in the kitchen, one in the pantry, but yes, we do have soap and sanitizer buckets, but again, most people don't, and so my health department inspector wants told me she's like most of the time people make themselves sick yeah. then they go eat somewhere and the symptoms come about an hour later and they're like ah, I must have been the restaurant you know when you usually blame the last thing that they ate which mm -hmm. is not often the thing that makes someone sick and on uh, there's a good parallel to the safety stuff with the bar a lot of our sort of dangerous ingredients uh, can impact a person after they leave a bar and maybe if you gave someone too much tobacco they didn't feel it until I mean, that, that takes uh, impact pretty quickly, but it could be, you know, in the car ride home. Right. That, that's where the heart attack manifests, and no one ever puts it together. No one obviously wants to hurt the customer with dangerous ingredients, but I think we need to think about that it's not just like, well, I haven't killed anybody yet, which is what I hear some bartenders saying. I've had this homemade tonic syrup on my menu for so long, and I haven't killed anybody yet. Like, well, that doesn't maybe mean it's you not did. right. I mean, <laughs> well, right, and I mean, think about like driving a car, right? Just because you drive a car doesn't mean that you can't kill someone. It just means you haven't yet. You know, exactly. so I don't think that's a good like point. That it, means like you'll right. stop after you do kill someone. Right, exactly. So you know, and that you're right. Nobody's trying to make their customers sick. And when I hear the pushback on that, and like people making an excuse of using, um, you know, I, I'm on medication where activated charcoal is an issue, and that's why I, I take issue with that. Um, you know, so where do you fall on as far as like labeling? Um, on the menus because you know like you said certain drinks um, like something with activated charcoal it's fine for you know most people and most medications it's not really a big deal um, although I think you did mention a couple of years ago you were wondering how many um, activated charcoal babies were out there um, because it does act it does uh, affect uh, birth control pills right it does so, uh, I mean, pretty much anything if activated charcoal is in your system at the same time as a necessary medication it's going to disable that medication right and that's for a large large group because that's that's its job that's right that's the point right that's i mean you go to the hospital you're you know overdosed on drugs that's what they do right give you put activated charcoal in your stomach to try to absorb some of that but what about labeling that on the menu like is it okay to put that on the menu if you put like hey this you know if you take medication perhaps this is not the drink for you or something like that Yep, i think that is one approach to to that specifically with activated charcoal however activated charcoal is not approved for food use in the united states so you're really calling out that you're doing something illegal. right yeah but um so one that's like buying some of the herbs that you talked about you know that go into Amaro you know you can buy them they're like that say not for you know human consumption but you know yeah uh, kind of just turn another the other issue way. for for buying those online but when it when it comes when we look at say the activated charcoal that's a place where it's a medication interaction rather than a poison because it's actually it's not poisonous. right, it right. can can be good for you in certain circumstances but um, so the 
you know, still not recommended, but a safer way would be to have a warning label on the menu saying, like, this contains activated charcoal. If you've consumed any uh, medications within two hours or plan to in the next two hours, then consider another drink. That's kind of a lot of language. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, the, You're better off just leaving it off. It clouds up. It's better off, like, using something else that's black, such as, uh, you know, black currants, uh, uh, black sesame seeds. Which I had an amazing black sesame drink. I had Velveteen Rabbit in Vegas, and, like... I, we don't make black drinks, uh, but if I were, that would be the way to do it. Oh, my God, it was so delicious. <laughs> nice. That one, a lot of the times, those come out kind of gray. Yeah, than black, right. Which is still metal. Um, I, I, like, well, it depends I on like how bright the bar drink. is, too, right? Like, I mean, you know, if, sure. if, if you're in a dimly lit bar, I mean, how black do you really need the cocktail to be? You know? Right. So it, it's... Like you're shining a, a candle into it for your Instagrammable. <laughs> so like, let me recant. I guess everybody needs to have a jet black because it won't show up on Instagram. That's the most important <laughs> place for it to be. Crank the uh, contrast up. But most people, <laughs> we have mentioned this, most people use cuttlefish or squid ink uh, yeah. to replace that activated charcoal. Um, but it does carry a maritime salty flavor. It does, right. And so that's a good reason not to. It kind of can work in sort of a dirty martini situation, but not, but not in all drinks uh, for that. Now, the other ingredient when we talk about interactions is grapefruit. And uh, since, yeah. since I was in this bar the last time, yes. you have fixed a problem that I kind of had because you had, you used the mysterious language of description of the drink. Right, 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 exactly. Like we... an exotic blend of citrus. Correct. Whereas I've come to, well, for those who don't know, grapefruit interacts with a lot, a lot of medications. Right. But anyone on those medications will know that they shouldn't have grapefruit because it's listed right on the, on the prescription label in big letters. Correct. Do not take when you're consuming grapefruit. So that's not, grapefruit is not a dangerous ingredient but it is dangerous to some people. So my, what I think about grapefruit when it comes to cocktail menu labeling is if there's grapefruit in the drink, listed amongst the ingredients. Like, yeah. And that's not, it doesn't require And that was one of the warning. reasons that we switched. So originally when we, for those of you out there that haven't seen our menu at the Inferno Room, we, uh, when we officially launched or initially launched, we um, just kind of stuck with that old like 40s, 50s era tiki of, you know, being very ambiguous about, um, you know, the ingredients in the cocktail. We just thought that that's just been overdone to death, you know, that it's like, we don't need to list that you're using, Three you know, of rum, exactly. Cinnamon. Like the brands of every single one, you know, <laughs> and like where it came from and, you know, the whole pedigree of everything. Um, and so we went to the complete opposite end of that. But then there was the issue that, you know, um, we had not thought about it initially was, you know, are we using anything that someone could have an allergic reaction to? Um, Orja in particular was one that we were concerned about because of almonds. Yep. Um, and so, Lernum right, exactly. Well. So Seek secret nuts. Mm -hmm. And so we put all the ingredients now on the menu. And even if something is, if it says Orja and they don't know what it is, and we'll just explain what that is. Um, and grapefruit obviously being one of those as well. I think uh, that's great because that, you didn't point it out to me last time, I don't believe. So I'm glad <laughs> well, that we, I noticed it. I'm <laughs> glad that we remedied it. So you're, you're not always the, like the douchey guy on the other side of the bar saying, excuse me, Sir, actually, <laughs> my one-star Yelp review. <laughs> right, I'm about to roast you about this. So, like, that's a surprising one for a lot of people, right? And that it's not that it's surprising because, like you said, most people know that, and we've all had antibiotics at some point in our life that says don't take, you know, don't eat grapefruit or drink grapefruit juice while you're on this medication. But it's not something you think about, right? I mean, especially as a bartender, um, you don't think about that. Like, hey, we need to make sure everybody understands because. You know, again, Don's mix number two, right? It's got grapefruit in there. And so that's another one of those that, you know, we have to explain what that is. So as you've done all of this, I mean, these are some, these are interesting kind of ingredients because people don't necessarily think about them. They're in our consciousness and we just see them so often that you don't think about them being dangerous. But have you run across anything like in your, like research that's just really shockingly like, whoa, really? Like I'm, I'm shocked by that. Um. Yeah, probably. Well, <laughs> well, particularly when it comes to when it comes to allergies, which are not necessarily uh, unsafe sure. on the, on their own. You find people with the strangest stuff, and you yeah. and you don't think about it. I nightshade. Have, that's the one that's always a, a crazy one. You know, I, people that have the nightshade allergy. I had a customer, a regular, uh, when I do cocktails for events, and uh, she is. Really, she's allergic to all melons in general, but specifically watermelon. The problem with that is that many people eat watermelon with their hands and then might touch a doorknob. Right. That's enough right. to send her into anaphylactic shock. Wow. Um, and so uh, bar nuts would be another example where that's it's not just 
the nuts themselves, but right. how people touch those. And, and you know, allergies are not a big part of the Cocktail Safe website because I wanted to focus on it. But I have actually, I gave a talk last year at Tales of the Cocktail on allergies and the cocktail menu. And it's something, it's a it's topic I think will be bigger uh, going through the years because we need to address, we need to understand them better. What is an allergy and how does an allergen uh, not go through distillation and uh, what can still be there right. in the menu, uh, etc. But um, for the non, uh, non-allergenic ingredients that may be dangerous, um, the one uh, that I think is funny that nobody knows about is licorice. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, licorice. Um, this year it was hilarious. Just I was writing about it. The FDA uh, put out a video on the couple days before Halloween about the dangers of eating too much black licorice candy from <laughs> your candy all at once, and uh, it was a, like a spooky little video and said. Well, you if know, you're eating a bunch of black licorice candy all at once, there's something wrong with you in the first place. That's, that's my whole childhood. Oh, you're kidding me! You yeah, love that I'm stuff. A, I was a black licorice. Oh candy. my Just god! Give me the black jelly bean bag. It all makes sense now. It yeah. all comes together. Now it's all the blackness is on the inside. <laughs> well, you can use the, or you can use the insides of Camper English to color your cocktails. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So the, we talked about in the beginning, like this this dangerous cocktail thing has really like led, or I'm sorry, the uh, the gin and tonic book has led to all these different paths you've gone down. So you've gone down this whole route of dangerous cocktails, but you've also um, got some other things in the works. That are you at liberty to discuss any upcoming? Publications, uh, classes, <laughs> talks, anything that you got going on? Well, I'm always working on a bunch of things. I hope to be uh, leading more talks around safety around the U.S., and I'm in uh, discussions with uh, brands about that. And uh, I am working on, I took my gin and tonic book, which is really just the history of a two-ingredient drink, but it was really a lot about the tonic. And I right. have uh, sold that into a book that hopefully I will finish writing sometime in the next decade on uh, <laughs> the, uh, the medical history of cocktails of all forms. Uh, oh, that's awesome. Spirits. And uh, it's really, there's a lot more material there than I would have ever guessed. And I, I touched a lot of it uh, as I went through gin and tonics, other mm-hmm. things that were cures for, for different diseases and, um, you know, Whiskey and snake bite. Sure, um, yeah. Right, yeah. Always the, curious, the, small snake. The, the, the prohibition era, like whiskey as medicine, you know, that's always, that cracks me up. Yep. Like when you could have a medicinal license to sell whiskey. Yeah, gripe medicine. Yeah. <laughs> so the, um, but you know, you look into Amari and, you know, there's, there could be a dozen different ingredients in there, then they all have a purpose. I mean, there was a reason for every one of those to like make their way into it. Historically, so that that's pretty cool. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of them were just cure alls in general. There's health tonic. I mean, what is what is chartreuse? It's the elixir of long life. That is that is its name, and uh, it was supposed to be, and it's still used as that as preventative medicine. Some people take a little splash of the chartreuse elixir vegetal, which is available for sale in pharmacies in France. Oh, so yeah. amazing! Wow. Uh, and that's they, really amazing. And they put that on a sugar cube and take that every day. That's like your multivitamin in France, I guess, for people of a certain generation to... Um, I, need, uh, I need that multivitamin. <laughs> yeah. mm, delicious. Uh, that was, the elixir vegetal is not for sale in, in the U.S., but it no, makes not. it a great, fun uh, gift to bring back every time we visit France. But that's used for all sorts of things, not just preventative, but like if you have a little cough, like a little chartreuse, like... That could be a multi-volume book. I mean, th- yeah. there's there's literally no end. I mean, this is... And a lot of the research you you do really doesn't have like a, a bottom, right? Like, I mean, you can just keep digging and digging and digging and digging, and there's always going to be something more. Yeah, I'm interested in stuff that like opens up to, to, to reveal more stuff um, because... Uh, when something's been covered super well, I'm like, okay, well, I can read what everyone else already wrote about it and have reached the end point. But I like the research that is uh, maybe doesn't have one or it just has, hasn't been explored or not explored within the context of sort of the drinking world. Right. Uh, there, there's a lot of stuff about the history of medicine, tons of stuff about the history of malaria. I le- read at least 30 books to write my gin and tonic book. But... Uh, People haven't really been writing in the context of like, well, let's look at that as a, a beverage. The all the malaria books go like, oh, and then someone in India threw this together with gin, and now we drink a gin and tonic. But to go down like, well, when, where, who? Exactly right. I mean, getting some backup to that. And so, 
you told me uh, earlier that you're doing a lot more, like, you know, kind of private bartending gigs for different companies and, and all that. Um, so you're out there making drinks. How has all this research changed the way that you that you craft a menu that you, I mean obviously you know you're leaving out you know certain dangerous ingredients things like that but has it changed the way you think about crafting a cocktail or a cocktail menu it has a lot of what has changed for me because because I'm not going to go in with those uh, potentially dangerous ingredients in mind does come down to the labeling of the menu to be sure that anything that could be a potential allergen is listed on the menu even if it's like a problematic ingredient to list because I use sherry to bring down the ABV on uh, some of my lower ABV drinks because it tastes full flavor but it's got great body and it like it allows you to replace one to one or a half an ounce of full strength booze with something that's 23% or whatever sure. uh, and that's like one of my secret tricks but because it's wine It's not based, secret anymore. Not secret anymore. <laughs> but uh, because it's wine-based, I want to have it explicit on the menu in case people have, say, a sulfite allergy or something like that. Um, and so it makes labeling a lot. It's a bigger pain in the butt now that I know uh, that I need to put everything on the menu. Everything has possible. at least one asterisk, if not multiple asterisks. <laughs> yeah, I did recently. Like, like please... Ask the bartender if let the bartender know if you have any allergies because I was using seed lip in that case, a mm. uh, quote unquote non alcoholic distilled spirit that uh, contains a lot of ingredients that are processed and then uh, diluted to a level where it's legally non alcoholic. But there are so many ingredients in that, like peas. I don't know if people have pea allergies or not, but I didn't feel I could list them all on the menu. Right. But I wanted to say something, I called it herbaceous, non-alcoholic spirit. Like, let us know if you have any allergies was the best I could do for that. Yeah, it does make it a little bit tricky. Um, I mean, I, with us, you know, it's because our menus are, are a lot less static or are a lot more static than yours are. You know, we, we it would just be like, just don't put it on the menu. It's just not worth it. Um, but yeah, well, you're doing kind of one-off shots here. So you've got some other publications going. You're doing lots of talks. Um, hopefully, you know, you've got multiple books coming out in the next couple of years. Um, and that's funny. We, so that's the one thing when I, when somebody says camper English to me, the one thing I always think of is you're, you every year you get like this deluge of books, right? Like, cause we're having so many cocktail books coming out all the time and yes. your, your Instagram or whatever it is, your social media, wherever I see it, it's just always these shots of like your shelves. I'm like, Jesus Christ. So many books, and they're coming out now at an even faster pace than ever So before. fast, so fast. And I'm, I'm like, I, I love to get them all and read them all. To be honest, so I, uh, I know. And then I'll just put them on Instagram, and uh, people, people are buying them. So, so that's good. But are you uh, able to go? Th you can't possibly make your way through all those books. Well, luckily for me, I don't use a lot of recipes from recipe books. Right, right, um, right. So I can flip through those pretty fast. Sure. Uh, the big history books are. Uh, much more challenging. Yeah, they're time-consuming. And what I'll tend to this, do... Last year was a big year for them, too, you was, know? <laughs> uh, I'll tend to stack them up and read, like, go through three Mezcal books and like in a row so that I can... When I'm super uh, fresh on some right. of the information, the next book, if it's repeating, I can skip that paragraph and... Uh, mm, that's a good idea. Go ahead and things like that. Because I tend to get interested in one topic and then go down that rabbit hole and right. I will just pull all of the books because I have them organized books I have read <laughs> books I have not read uh, that pile grows uh, at a faster rate <laughs> than the books oh, yeah. I have read I know I I just was tidying up my shelves uh, two nights ago because um, I have everything by spirit category or wine um, and I was like god I forgot I even bought this book, you know, and I, I made it through a chapter or two because they're the, like I said, they're in the last, last year, year and a half, there's been a lot of really good books come out with a, a density of information. So yeah. maybe I should sort through them like you are. And that would be smarter, I guess, rather than like read a Moscow book, read a Tiki book. There's been a lot of Tiki books coming out in the last year as well. And, yeah. uh, but again, luckily, like you said, in that regard, you know, we just kind of flip through, you know, look the look at the recipes and, and such, but, you know. Yeah, you can find, if you don't, you know, if you've already owned and read a whole bunch of books, it's kind of easy to find the new information. So they, they read faster the more you know. I can't stop buying advance. them. I just can't stop. No. I love I I, them all. I, I'm a book hoarder, totally. I mean, it's just, I I put in so many shelves in my new house um, for books and, and like before we moved in. 
just uh, oh I'll be totally clear now like I'll never never run out of space now and now I'm just like how fast can I fill them up like I think I'm already down to one there's only like one shelf that doesn't have any books on it it's it's getting bad man because <laughs> I just keep buying and buying and buying and they keep coming out faster and faster and faster yeah I consider like getting rid of some of my books that are like you know 4,000 shots for every frat party uh, right. which is, I'll probably not refer to again I used to do some stories that were of the nature of like let's track how a drink uh, changed throughout the 80s and and whatever and look through all those books that I have and I do that a lot less and those would be sort of the first to go as the right party shots and then uh, I did get rid of a batch of those when I moved I was like all right you know because when you're in the industry, you're, you know, your family wants to, they mean well, but at holidays, you get the gifts of like, hey, look, here's here's a martini book. And you're like, oh, cool. Oh, it's like chocolatini, espressotini, lemontini. You're like, okay, that's, I'll put this on the shelf to be kind. But yeah, they, those all got donated to uh, the vintage stores and, you know. Yeah, I still have enough space as of now for those but I am doing the the, sh- the stack behind the stack <laughs> yeah I was going to say I mean you live in San Francisco how could you possibly have enough room Don't you, doesn't yeah. everybody live in a shoebox I should have an office mate <laughs> I have an off. I do rent an office and I should have uh, another person in there but instead I choose to keep company with you know 600 books or so get a librarian <laughs> then you can you can write it off no that's fantastic man so um, you said you've got a couple other projects you're working on Really looking forward to seeing that. How can people find out what you're working on? And as far as like following you along, following along with you on your website or social media or however your phone number you want to hand out your, you want to give <laughs> you type. A cell number. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, alchemics.com is my main website, um, and that does link to sort of the blog, I do. the aforementioned blog, the blog, uh, the blog of old. Uh, and uh, cocktailsafe.org is where you'll find a lot of information about the uh, dangerous ingredients that we've t- been talking about during this talk. Um, I'm sort of more active on Twitter these days. That's where all the really? ju- that's where all the journalists hang out, and it's like who can make this smartiest smart comment. On well, that's the thing I love about Twitter is like the trending hashtags, you know, whatever, yeah. like the Revolutionary War airport stories and stuff like that. I mean, I, that's the only time I ever get on Twitter because I just it moves fast. I faded off of it. Every time somebody tells me they're on Twitter a lot, I'm always just like, oh, wow. Really? Yeah, not a whole lot of bartenders there, but you do find... That's because we're taking pictures of drinks. (laughs) (laughs) That is where you find all the drink riders. Uh, Wondrous is only there. That's that's the only place you get to actually interact with... uh, uh, I should get back on there. That legend and a few other people. And it's uh, because... Facebook can get kind of heated uh, yeah. these days. The hell you say. <laughs> <laughs> Especially cocktail forums, and God, don't even get on a rum forum. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, It can be a bit much sometimes. Or the opposite. You know what? I encourage all of you to get on Ministry of Rum and post a picture of uh, Papa Spilar and uh, see what happens. <laughs> I can say that. We're unsponsored, right? Like, I don't I don't need to chase the sponsorship. <laughs> yeah, so that's interesting. I might have to jump back on there because, yeah, you're right. The, the Facebook stuff gets pretty heated, and Instagram's definitely not a medium for conversation. No, and that's where I share actually all the new the books I get. They eventually make it to the blog as well, but I share books and then my ice projects go on Instagram. So yeah, you do. Like you're freezing. You're you're insane. Somebody needs to stop you. Uh, yeah, it's not going to happen. So we we probably touched on it at the top, but I mean, Camper's, you know, the pioneer of like, you know, clear ice at home and and directional freezing, but yeah, now you're just putting shit into ice just to see if you can make it work. Yeah, I <laughs> uh, like walk into a store like, can you freeze this? <laughs> well, you did the Halloween eyeballs. I saw that. Yeah. Those looked those creepy, though. Eyeballs were amazing. <laughs> um, totally not food safe. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of safety, uh, but they did make great directions. And uh, yeah, ice blocks with all sorts of stuff frozen into it. Brought back a dinosaur. There was one puppet. that was kind of a, I saw that it was a failed experiment. Everything sunk to the bottom or floated on the top. I can't remember which one it was. Yeah. It was oh, like it was some, like Star Anise or something? Yep, Star Anise and some. Some, uh, lemons and limes, and that that didn't really work out. Um, it's fun to share the failed experiments, uh, too. Right, and you did that initially with the uh, like the whole kind of uh, 
refining of the process of directional freezing. Like yeah. I remember reading it as it went up as all those years ago, right? I yeah, mean, this will be the tenth anniversary. You're kidding me. This this winter of like the discovery of directional freezing of when I finally figured it out. So it still all goes back though. I mean, on the blog you can still trace all of the research back. Yep. So I'm is there curious. synergy now between academics and cocktail safe? Like if you're if you get on academics, is it is it an easy hop, skip, and a jump and a click <laughs> over to uh, to get over to cocktail safe? Yeah, it's kind of on the main index okay. is like other other sites uh, slash Twitter Facebook etc but it's not the content is not cross-posted really except for it's a it's a prime link right from one site to the next cool just I wanted to throw it out there because I mean I wasn't sure if people were kind of aware who was behind cocktail safe is there like an about me page and like yeah, yeah it's camper a, English yeah it's a little less about me than uh, good. academics is because that's right. really sort of for the greater good than the rather than the self-glorification of camper English which I also enjoy <laughs> <laughs> well you know we, we love to contribute to that man you know I, I, I love when you come into town I, I've seen you more times than we've had you on the show and I just usually don't have my microphones with me so I'm glad that you were able to make it on the show today man and um yeah, let's go eat some flowers and shit. Let's do it. <laughs> let's go forage for our dinner. Yeah. All right. Well, cheers, sir. Thanks again for coming on the show. Anybody that wants to catch up with us, uh, shiftdrinkpodcast.com. Uh, you can find us, uh, well, yeah, shiftdrinkpodcast.com or on Instagram at shiftdrinkpodcast. Again, we're not really on Twitter too much. I need to get on there, man. It, 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 we have an account. We just don't ever do anything with it. So, All right. Well, let's go get a Mai Tai with some flowers and uh, nice. mushrooms and charcoal and, t- and tobacco <laughs> and nuts. Yes, lots and lots of uh, almonds. All right. Cheers, sir. Till next time.